Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. And we are here to talk about the comics being released on December 21st, 2021. Starting with Batman One Dark Knight, number one, <laughs> written and illustrated by Jock. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to make this book interesting somehow. Um, uh, Mad Men, but or <laughs> Mad Men, <laughs> no, Mad Magazine, but Man, One but- Dork Knight. <laughs> there we go. There it is. Um, so I, before we get into this, how do, how are you guys on Jock in general? Are you are you Jock fans? Are you are you Jock gnostic? How do you feel about his work? I used to be a jock fan, and I think he's a super nice guy. He is. Um, we talked to him that one time at New York Comic Con. Yeah, he's incredibly nice. Um, but I, I think I've soured on his work a little bit. Is that because of this issue or because of other things? No. Well, you know, it's funny. I feel like my touchstone for jock has always been Snyder's tech. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that when it was coming out. But then recently, I didn't revisit that. One day I might revisit that. I haven't read it in a long time. I'm kind of afraid to. Um, but I read the the detective comic issues with Batwoman, um, that little two-parter, three-parter arc in the Rucka run. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that looked really bad. Um, I want to say that's like universally considered a bad jock. It's a bad... But then, but then the thing is, I read this and I'm like this isn't that different from that, you know, like, and there's like 10 years separating that. And it, it, it just makes me wonder, like, what is it about that Snyder tech run that, that connected with me so much or that I liked so much? Um, because uh, I, I don't, if you go back and read the Snyder thing, I think you'll think it looks a lot like this too. You really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I might not like that, and and I uh, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> um, Vince, what what are your Jock thoughts? I like Jock as an artist. <laughs> Spoiler alert for how I feel about this book. Um, yeah, I I I like Jock. I think I think there's always a, a good moodiness to it. Um, it's not my favorite style because as as is well documented, my favorite like art style would be the Darwin Cook, you know, Mike Allred, just very clean, very cartoony. uh, What I was going to say is it's almost unfair to Jock that he has to go against Cliff Chang this week. Yes. Um, Yes. That's exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Um, Very well said. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Um, but of the artists that do this kind of thing, and I'm thinking like, I guess I would say like Chris Sprouse is kind of like this. Um, um, there's another artist I'm thinking of that, um, oh, Phil Hester, you know, mm-hmm. I feel like there's Phil That's Hester That's an interesting here. connection. And I, I agree with you, but I wouldn't have made that. Mm, yeah. I, I think they do a similar thing. And I, I think Jock is my favorite of all of those. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. Like artistically, I'm a fan. Um, it's just, I'm afraid I'm going to say the same thing about this book that I say about so many Batman books, which is just that 
they all feel so ordinary and routine to me. Okay, so I I like Jock. Um, I think that this is not that different from the Jock of old. What I think is my like my critic my critique of this comic in one sentence is that jock the artist is wasted by jock the writer here in that there is like 20 pages of story in this 50 page comic and it's not even like sometimes you'll see a writer artist give themselves a lot of time to just do like cool comics shit there's not even that much cool comics shit here there's Mm -hmm. a lot of like people arguing while talking in a room um, or like rooftops. And it's just, it's not to me, this is not, if the selling point of this book is you have 50 pages of jock doing jock. I totally understand that selling point. I want to read that comic to me. This is like, it just seems like it's so, it is so not what I want from my jock comic. And that that's my big problem with it. Even though I think that like when he gets to do the action stuff, it is pretty great. And even some of the other stuff is not terrible. It just seems to me like this is not the best use of this person's creativity. Yeah, I think. Man, it's tough to talk about this without like repeating Vince tropes that I've said before about just how many bad books we've read, but, but let's talk about the basic premise of this, right? Um, some of the, some of the talking points in it are, you know, there's an EMP that goes off in Gotham, essentially. It's literally a villain named EMP that takes out all the lights, basically all the electricity. Um, meanwhile, like this Batman has to transport this EMP villain from Arkham to Blackgate, right? While he's doing that with the power out and everything, there's gangs that are trying to take him out while he's well. The power's not out yet. Well, right, but the at the end of the issue, it is right. Yes, and the premise is going to be that these gang, the premise is going to be that Bruce essentially has to still get this guy across town, and now he's more vulnerable potentially than ever, right? He doesn't have his tech or his comms. Right. So it's just one man against the city. And I can see why that would be an entertaining premise. It's kind of like a, um, like a bottle episode is probably the wrong name for it, but it's like a, it's like a, a series of impositions on Batman that makes the premise of the comic is that everything is harder for him. Yes. It's like a what's that like what's that Lars von Trier like set of movie rules oh, that yes, is supposed the, to um yeah, I know what you mean. The, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. Um uh I'll think of it. But anyway, it's like that, but in the a obstructions, comic. the denied obstructions. The obstructions, yes, yes, exactly. Um and and like I can see why somebody would think that's cool, but then how it actually plays out on the page is just like this just feels like um, no man's land or something all over again, where like Gotham itself is an obstacle for Batman. Right. Um, And I just think like, there's nothing really surprising here. 
there's nothing again there's like a there's like a a premise about like oh bat uh you know there's there's this police commissioner or prison commissioner or prison warden or whatever vasquez versus commissioner gordon and like gordon is kind of on batman's side but vasquez is like hard line against vigilantes that's a dynamic that we've just seen played out so many times um I just, I just, you know, what, what, what that says to me is that there's nothing novel here. So it's, you're just here for the art then. And if you're a huge, it's like you said, Brian, if you're a huge jock fan, then here you are. If you just kind of like jock or if you appreciate jock or you don't appreciate jock, you're, what are you, you know, what are you doing here that, that you can't find in many, many other Batman stories? I wish I liked this more, um, but that's that's Bruce Wayne Bat Comics for for you in 2021. Zach, Zach, into this? yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have much more to say about it than you did. Like, it's a pretty, you know, by the numbers bad book compared to say compared to like Batman Imposter which I gushed over and was very recent and, and did a lot of unique things with Batman. Whereas this is just like a more, you know, box standard bat story with an added wrinkle of the power being out. So, and, and, and also like, we'll, we'll end up comparing it to Catwoman, I think here in a minute, which is not, you know, it's not a Bruce story, but it is a, it's a Batman Gotham story. And that does a lot more interesting things with the characters and the, the mythology and everything. This, this just feels very safe compared to like those books, which we've talked about. We've talked a lot before about, you know, who these books are for. This is for a more like neophyte, bat or or casual batman fan who hasn't read or or consumed a lot of batman stories and they just want more batman that's who this is for Mm -hmm. whereas i think like and and in some ways that batman imposter is for that that person too but like i think stories like that and the catwoman lonely city are are also for people who are very well versed in these characters and are interested in seeing like different versions and more unique scenarios deeper deeper plot lines so yeah this just isn't for me see i don't even know if that's right though zach i mean i i I appreciate what you're saying and and i would never tell you something is for or not for you you're the only person who can say that but to me this does not feel i think that if you asked like the creators behind the three books you mentioned batman the imposter this and catwoman lonely city what their intention with their book is I think all three have the same intention behind it to to make money. Well, besides that, of course, but um, but I don't think the jock would see this as fundamentally different than those other two for any reason. Well, they may not, but like functionally, like there are certain like as a critic, like you 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 sort certain stories into different boxes and. Uh, I mean, what what a creator thinks about a book versus what the the consumer thinks about them are are separate things I think. of course of course um, um i don't know I, this and I, i'm not saying that i think that jock is writing this in that way that's not i don't know if that's what i think he's like setting out to do but like 
this is that type of book, you know? See, uh, this again, isn't asking a lot of the reader. No, I, I, I agree with that. I just feel like it's, see, here's the thing. I, I think it's trying to do that though. You think it's at, trying to ask something of the reader? Because here's why. If it wasn't, there would be so much more action in this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there is I, I, quite I a would bit argue, of action. Yeah, I would argue you you just said earlier, Brian, that it has like 10 pages of story. Yeah, but it's boring story. <laughs> well, that doesn't matter what you think of the story. But, you know, like you're saying it's padded with action. No, no. I, I think it's decompressed. There's a difference. So he, 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 I, we don't need to we don't need to, to none of us like this we, we don't have to go too deep into this but i'll just say this like the, the, i know I'm jock to... is gonna message us and ask us if they don't like it why do they why do they keep talking about it <laughs> <laughs> inside joke um all right so there there's like not to do I, with jack by the not way to jack at all no i'm gonna say there's like five to eight pages of gordon and vasquez arguing about the like the probably even more probably exclusive 10 pages correct and that's action no there's like <laughs> no, there's kidding. like two pages of story stretched out over eight pages there right, right. um mm -hmm. and i feel like even even with batman and alfred like bantering there's twice as much as that that we need there to be all the stuff with emp is what is over explained like people must explain who emp is four or five times in this book Mm -hmm. And you get it the first time. So I like you're, you're telling me you can take out all the electricity. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So like it's, it's not like it's padded with action. It's padded with repetition. Yeah. OK. Um, but I but I will say this. I think that if I think that this the unique problem that Batman finds himself in here of having to get through the city without his gear and all that, that could make for an interesting story. I just think that it didn't need 50 pages of preamble to it. Mm -hmm. Issue two might actually be fun if it's I, if, if it's not like this. I, I'm, not, I'm not banking on it, but I think I it could hate, be. I hate how often we say that. I hate how often in comics we have to be like, well, maybe issue two will be more interesting. I mean, you know? it sucks that we have to say that, but but don't you agree that that's possibly the case? Yeah. Yes. No, I don't. I, but I think issue one. Sh <laughs> well, I. I uh, let me say I'm I'm only using the most technically sound version of the word, uh, possibly. <laughs> there, okay. <laughs> like, yes, it is possible. Uh, and period. <laughs> um, <laughs> enough said. Um, I I just think I think we're at the point in our lives and in in comics where issue one needs to be a banger. You know. Um. I mean, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. I don't. But I also think that I think that all of us are probably more um, sensitive to boring comics than the average reader. That's what uh, I was saying. That, yeah, that's what that's what Zach was saying. And and that's what our show is. That's what like it or not. Our show is about uh, three guys who read like 10 to too 20 many, comics. Too many comics. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. And um, I've been doing so for like over a decade. So. <laughs> yes. Right. That's true. Right. And so, so yeah, we're going to have a different a perspective that's different than um, let's say variety who writes about 10 comics a year or whatever, you know, you right, know what I mean? Right, like right. 
it's just the way it's going to go. Well, I, this, this is interesting because I was like talking to someone recently about like, um, a friend who is very into this is a different friend than the one I was talking about earlier, but a, a different friend who is very into like the MCU and is constantly asking me like what I think about it. And I've tried to express like several times that I just like don't give a shit and I don't think it's good and I would rather read the comics. Um, but he's like a really big music guy and he like chuffs anytime I talk about like how much I like Taylor Swift because he mm. thinks she is like not a legitimate artist or whatever and I'm just like this is the same thing like you you are a music person and so you're an elitist in this way yeah I am a I have consumed more comics than any human being should and so I can't stomach your puny MCU <laughs> correct yes and and you know what Zach you are you are right on both of those counts thank you I know um you should tell your friend that I think Taylor Swift is the modern Bob Dylan Okay, I will. Oh, you're you're both full of shit, but that's okay. She's no, fine. she abs- she absolutely is. Um, she's fine. She's not the modern Bob Dylan. Yes, yes, she is. She's she's the closest thing that we have to Bob Dylan. Oh God, uh, don't 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 derail us like this. I, I don't uh, know. Let I don't Brian know be a misogynist. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, a woman and her guitar. I can't. <laughs> do not paint me with that brush, motherfucker. This has nothing to do with that. This is. This is the best part of our show. Let's let's get into this. Let's get into the <laughs> shit here. Um, all too well is the modern idiot wind. It absolutely is. I, uh, <laughs> oh god, I, I'm not gonna do this. I'm not. <laughs> I'm I, right. have too, I have too much respect for all of us to get into this. Brian, you ignorant <gasps> slut. No. I just um, think she, she's fine. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. She's fine. Yeah, she's not Bob Dylan. Okay, one one last thing about uh, one one dork night um, that Zach uh, piggybacking off of what Zach said because I do agree with him and I think an, another piece of evidence, although you know this could something that could change too, but there's no Robin in this, and I feel like I, I should create some kind of poem where like uh, if a Robin you see in <laughs> continuity st- it be if a Robin. <laughs> If a Robin's not there, uh, you don't uh, have to care. Yeah. Let's codify this. If a Robin you see in continuity, you be. If a Robin's not there, you don't have to care. There you go. Yes. 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 Which, which, which leads me to agree with Zach that like, yeah, this is made for um, average Joe reader, which is fine. You know, there's more jock fans. Or jock fans, and but I'm nothing, a jock fan. There's nothing in here. Well, yes, but I'm not. But that's not. That's not saying 100 of jock fans will like this. You know, it's just saying that that's kind of who it's for. Sure, you know, sure. And 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 there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not going to be for us. And then, you know, to me, it is more for like the. Not to paint with too broad a brush, but it's for like the. Christopher Nolan, Batman enthusiast who thinks Robin's kind of lame, you know? Um, See, I, I, I would, I would agree with you more if I thought that that's how jock felt. Oh yes. And again, again, this is like uh, a critical interpretation of what the book represents more than what, more than, more than jocks work on it or, sure. or what he thinks of it. Sure. 
he he did costume designs for the last jedi he's he's good in my book forever oh absolutely oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I, yeah i i yeah he seems like a fantastic person very talented i just don't love this i also think that this is um it's funny when i, when I was talking with mike martz for our um 520 weeks thing on multiversity he basically said that there was no truth to the idea that you would give a writer, give an artist a writing gig to entice them to stay on a book, even though multiple artists told me the reason they stayed on books is because they were given writing gigs. But what he said was that he felt like certain artists in their work appear to be natural storytellers. And so like he wanted to give these natural storytellers a chance to tell their stories. And I feel like I understand why you would look at Jock's work and think, I bet that guy with the shackles off could do some incredible stuff. The problem is oftentimes those guys with the shackles off don't know how to craft a compelling story. So. Anyway, we ready to move on? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in, in, in the, in the annals of, um, uh, comic artists who should have become writers years ago based on how good the work is. Let's talk about Catwoman Lonely City number two, written, drawn, colored, and lettered by Cliff Chang. Vince, I'm going to let you start this one off because I know you want to. Oh, man. I <laughs> I love this book. Um, what, what, what to say about it other than like every choice Cliff Chang makes with this seems to be a, a good one. <laughs> And that's, and I don't know if this was even um, Chang's idea, but the recap page, that recap page at the beginning of this. Love it. So good. It's like, it makes me think every comic should have one of these. Oh, I, I agree with you. I, I am, I am on team recap page. You remember when uh, Kieran Gillen's journey into mystery had that every week or yeah. month rather. Fantastic. Yeah. And the thing is, is like, okay, so, so let me, let me be clear there's a point where recap pages become like too cluttered or too um, exposition heavy uh, for me to read them. And then I just skip them, even if I could probably use a recap. But this is so this take this recap page takes a 50 page comic or whatever it was. Issue one essentially condenses it down into like five sentences mm -hmm. and it's it doesn't tell you too much but it tells you everything you need to know to refresh your brain or whatever yep and especially it's for jokes style. like us who read too many comics like absolutely absolutely like so instead of reading like you totally could have read this issue and along the way you would go okay i remember all this stuff that happened but here you start off and you get a like a five phrase palette cleanser that immediately just gets you back in the world of Catwoman Lonely City. Um, so, so right away I look at that and I'm like, I'm just smitten with this comic because it's already doing something before I even get to the story that I love. <laughs> right. And then you get this terrific scene where Selena and Babs are getting coffee and catching up and you get this awesome montage of killer croc and selena training <laughs> and like to make me like killer croc in this way now is a feat i think because that's always been just like a just like a a gruff hulk 
character to me, right? But this book gives him like depth and character. And I love that they're training at Wildcats gym. Love it. <laughs> That's just such a great detail. There's so many great details in this. Um, there's the Bat Force One shoes. Mm-hmm. The, the, <laughs> the Supreme Superman shirt. Like we all know Cliff Chang is like the king of comic book fashion. Right. And he gets to get nutty with that in this. I want that Black Adam shirt, by the way, that's worn by a, what's her name? Son. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, there's uh, references to there's references to like the Jim Carrey Riddler <laughs> costume and pose. And uh, it not only is it like hilarious, but it's it fits Cliff Chang style instead of it being out of place and feeling like a uh, gimmicky reference to uh, Batman forever. Instead, it's, it's a reference for people that, that recognize it, but it's all done in, in Cliff Chang style. You wouldn't necessarily link it to that if you didn't know what he was going for. And I think that that's the best kind of reference. It's, it's not calling attention to itself too much, you know, same with the stuff about like there's a there's a character in this who has the Jim Belent, uh like very cheesecakey catwoman poster on his wall. Mm-hmm. And they, they make references to, you know, it was a different time, whatever, you right. know. <laughs> uh, all that stuff is so funny and so well done, but not like doesn't call too much attention to itself, you know, it's not not too showy, it's not coming off as smug or too smart for its own good. You know, it's all just beautifully layered. It, it gives this character a sense of history in a way that rewards like longtime readers like us, you know? Um, then there's the scene with the, the kind of the 1960s Batman and Catwoman mm-hmm. that again, like, again, it's not really trying. It's not saying like, this is Adam West and this is, you know, but it's nodding towards that in a way that feels authentic in the context of this Selena's history. Yes. Right. And I just love it's so effortless the way that that Chang does all this, you know, the, the effortlessness is really the key word, I think, that I that I'll just I'll end my spiel on saying, like, this is so good. And it seems so effortless when when in reality, like this is just a master craftsman doing top tier work. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not at all. Uh, yeah, th- this is fantastic. There's, um, there's not much I can add to what, um, what Vince has said. I do like how in this world, the Gotham Knights are the Mets. We, we a confirmation of that with Killer Croc's shirt. It's blue and orange. It's the same logo. <laughs> So, um, you know, Sicko. thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, I also love the bit with like the Alan Scott ring being a part Extremely of this. Extremely cool. Yeah. Just like a very unexpected thing. I love that Killer Croc is wearing a telepathic ape shirt. <laughs> uh, Do you just... think that's an NFT? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's one of the board apes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, if, like th- what what Chang's doing so well here is, so many times books like this can feel like just a reference fest, and like you were saying, Vince, he manages to work it into a, 
both looks like him, but also it doesn't feel overcooked at any point. Like having the Rocket Reds as security is about as as frivolous as his references get, right? Like there's really no reason for those to be Rocket Reds. But because he doesn't do every page with references like that, you'll buy the Rocket Reds are there. It's fine. It's not overwrought. Um yeah, and he doesn't have to go, uh, oh, this is the Rocket Red program. They blah, 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 and then like do a bunch of exposition to explain it. Right. Yeah. It's it's just there, and it's fine. Um, I feel like there's there are so many little bits of humor in this, specifically in all of Killer Croc's like, shirts are all like, one of them's an Ocean Master shirt. One of them, like, there's, he is, he's, I love the, like you said, he's the king of comic book fashion. Um. I love all that stuff. Uh, the fact that the son is wearing a shirt that says Wing and Jimmy and Thomas and Chop Chop. It's like fantastic. All of mm. this is really good, fun stuff. But also when there needs to be an emotional hit, like the stuff with Ivy is really good in this. And Ivy is a character we've, uh, we ostensibly meet for the first time here. This is not a recognizable version version of Ivy, but it's not, because he's doing more than just making reference to, oh, look, it's Poison Ivy, because he's giving each of these characters some sort of, uh, you know, agency and utility and also unique touches to them, you get the best of both worlds. You get to, to spot the fun references, but when they need to land, he manages to make every one of them land. Like, his Riddler is the most likable Riddler I've read in a very long time. And he's, he's not in the book all that much. Mm-hmm. He just Chang just is able to position these characters from a writing standpoint in in these stories that that feel everything feels I don't want to say possible that's a weird way to say it but just like none of this necessarily feels um, like it doesn't fit in this world. He has created such a such a well lived in world that he can basically put anything he wants in there and it works. This is fantastic. Zach, what did you think of this? I I love this. So I wasn't here when we when you guys talked about the first issue. So I read both of them back to back and like this is this is different than Batman Imposter in almost every every single way. Except that it tells a unique and interesting version of the Batman gotham world it's constantly doing like fun and unexpected things with the added benefit of like not that i didn't like andrea sorrentino's art like don't get me wrong i really like you're not vince huh i said you're not vince yeah um but like cliff chang is definitely more my artistic wheelhouse and this just is gorgeous and the fact that he is doing everything is insane um uh yeah i mean this is just like uh, add this one onto the pile for like wins for black label you know um i know like we have all been pretty mixed on it as a line um but this is just one of the best comics of the year hands down i mean just uh, so um this maybe will come out after this becomes public, but Cliff Chang won our best cartoonist of the year uh, for Multiversity. 
based on one issue of this because our voting came out before the second issue uh drops but i think that he totally is is worthy of the of the honor based on what he's done here and i spoke to him about this book i chatted with him on the phone a few weeks ago for a multiversity thing and he basically said that he's always wanted to do this he's always wanted to be the sole creator on a book but he never felt he was ready for that and i think that's crazy from a guy as accomplished as Cliff Chang for him to feel like he wasn't ready to do this. But when he waited and waited until he felt like, yes, I am ready. This is, I can do this. He fucking knocks it out of the park. Right. So I wonder if this is one of those situations. And again, not to throw shit on jock because I like jock, but I wonder if this was jock's first opportunity to do something like this and jumped at it as opposed to waiting until he felt like he had honed the various pieces of his personal skills to such a level where he was confident in himself. That could be totally wrong, but this this just feels like somebody who has been waiting and planning to shoot their shot. And when they get that opportunity, they kill it. Sorry, Zach, go on. No, yeah, I, I don't disagree. Um... I, I guess I don't have a lot more to say than what you guys already said, other than I do just like really want to echo how good a job um, Chang does at making the villain characters interesting and and like whole characters outside of their, you know, villainy, like Riddler, Killer Croc, Poison Ivy, and Catwoman really like this is these are like the and and Two-Face Harvey Dent also even though he is still kind of the villain here <laughs> um but he, he's different um and you know we we got news about another bat book that um <laughs> is going to be dealing with these same characters and and you know I I I hope that that book looks to this book in terms of how to do that in an interesting way. So that's all I'll say. Um, yeah. Anything else to add to this, Vincy? I don't think so. I've slabbed on it enough. Uh, I believe this is only three issues, right? I think so. So we get the finale of this come March. Man. Um, I, I hope that Chang returns to this throughout his career and keeps telling stories in this in this world because this is this is just so enjoyable. Well, let's do this. Let's take a the break. Chang verse would be a great thing, absolutely. Yes, it would be. Um, yeah. So let's take a break, and when we return, we will power through our final three books of the week. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with Justice League Incarnate number two, 
written by Joshua Williamson and Dennis Culver, illustrated by Kyle Hotz and Andre Brisson and Paul Pelletier. Uh, Zach, Vince and I have talked too much this week. What did you think of this? <laughs> I, um, against all odds, I like this a lot. I think I actually like this better than the first issue. Um, a lot of that comes down to the art. I'm a big Kyle Hotz fan, and having him draw the Earth 13 stuff was fantastic, but I also really liked the other artists on this, um, Andre Bresson and um, Paul Pelletier. I thought they both did a, a really good job in their sections, but the, the Earth 13 part was just so fun. Um, having like the password being vertigo backwards. God, I love that. Such a good touch. Um, just the character beats were really fun. I thought that I, I again, against all odds and really liking the pairing of um, President Superman and Dr. Batman as he's referred yes. to. In I love that Dr. Batman bit. That was great. Um, and then again, like this is just, this is just Zach bait. Like the, the um, crap. What are they called? The, the fairy people from the Sheeta. The Sheeta, the Sheeta are in this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Asmodel from Morrison's JLA. <laughs> yep. I mean, this is just a Morrison sicko fest, you know, like. Except Morrison but, would have never subjected us to the Batwoman who laughs. He never, they never would have. You're right. Absolutely. They never would have, unless it was like, a, a huge joke and and it's kind of treated as a joke but it's also handled pretty seriously at the same time we, we will see that character again i think that's the one big misstep in this issue for me is the batwoman who laughs um but i i generally like this quite a bit i think i liked it better than the first issue and i think i liked it better then most uh i i maybe liked it better than any one issue in infinite frontier as well i don't know if i'd go as far as that but i do think this was better than the first issue and i think that uh i can imagine vince not liking kyle hotz because he's kind of a kelly jones ish artist um but I, i i eat that shit up like i thought that 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 section looked great and i really really enjoyed everything on earth 13 uh, I don't have too much to add to what you have to say, Zach. I feel like what what this has going for it, the first issue didn't, was this is the breakneck pace that I think this book needs to be at, where if it's going to be, you know, if they're fighting for the fate of the multiverse, and there's dark side, and there's all these multiversal heroes, it has to feel like everything is just barely holding on to control. And that's how this issue felt. So I think if that pace continues my enjoyment of the book will continue as well. Um, but Vince, what'd you think of this? I don't like this very much. Um, I will say that the, the earth 13 Kyle Hotz bit was easily the best part of any of this. Um, I thought the art looked great. I thought it was a, a, a brilliant turn to have him come in and do that section. Cause I think th- his stuff is so well suited to that. Just the, the heavy shading, lots of like wrinkles and folds over everything. The skeletons, the creepy horror imagery, just perfect fit. 
perfect fit and not something you expect to see in an event book and really, really, really well done. So that, that whole section was knocked out of the park, but I just, I cannot get a toehold into any of the character beats. I can't, I, there's, there's no, there's even less um, emotional motivation, even more uh, uh, obscure multiversal nonsense than Snyder's like death metal. And that is saying something like this. I do not know. They keep talking about like the anomaly, the crack in the source wall that keeps moving, I guess the crack is moving, not in the source wall in the multiverse, the multiverse, whatever, whatever it is. There's been cracks in the source wall before. I, I'll give you that. Yeah, but I, I know, know, I know. And I'm what I, I, it doesn't even matter what it is. I'm just saying like the, the, the MacGuffin is just so um, nonsensical to me, you know? Um, and it's not doing enough fun stuff to counterbalance the fact that it's, utter nonsense you know they they almost spend too much time on chasing the nonsense for me um i i just can't <laughs> i don't know it's not it's not tethered to anything to me it's just it's it's heroes running around in a configuration that we don't see very often and i, I kind of you know there's there's some novelty to that but I I cannot tell you what the actual goal is here. Now, I, I wonder if part of that is that this is act two of something. No. <laughs> well, no, no, hear me out. Hear me out. Because I think that for the most part, most act twos are where just like you have to get through certain things, right? Like they're the, the the first the first act is what introduces you to the characters the third act is what really nails down the emotional beats of it the second act is just getting you from point a to point b in some ways right that's a cop out i think that's i'm not saying it's not a cop out but i, I wonder if that's if that's part of the part of the lack of of emotional resonance you're feeling well and i just think i, I think another thing is that like we've had so much multiversal stuff over the last few years um, that like when the heroes get mixed up and thrown around and now at the end of the issue, Avery is on the pirate earth and captain carrot is on the image comics earth. Basically um, I just like, it's just a shotgun approach to storytelling i think um it's not it's not grounding this stuff in anything and i'm not even talking about emotions when i talk about that i i just mean like these characters are getting tossed around the multiverse to 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 what end you know i i feel like we i feel like we see this stuff all the time um yeah the the batwoman who laughs is like the the epitome i feel of like too much of this stuff too much alternate earths too much uh too much birthday to quote the latest succession episode um 
it's, it's, it's too much with, with really no payoff. And that stuff's not like, okay, it's a second, it's the middle arc of, of three arcs or whatever, but all of this nonsense is not going to pay off in the third arc. It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing that's happening right now as the heroes are chasing the MacGuffin that's going to resonate by the end of it. You know, they're not, this isn't, it's, it's reminds me of like crisis on infinite earths. But if you think about that series, every issue of that kind of had its own purpose and it's own, a lot of them had their own emotional core, you know, this doesn't have, this doesn't have any of that. This just looks like crisis on infinite earths without feeling like it. I think, I think that's valid, but I also think it's unfair to compare this to crisis for a couple of reasons, but we don't need to mince words about that. Um, <laughs> I, I guess, I guess what it comes down to for me is I'm just having fun with this where it sounds like Vince, you're not having fun with it. I'm um, yeah. It's just too much, too much nonsense. This is the only way I can put that. <laughs> uh, I don't, I I'm having a lot of fun with this and I, I like feel more invested or I care more about this. Like, I am caring about the meta narrative for the first time in a long time. So what? I mean, you care about the crack in the multiverse. Yeah. How is it any different from, I don't get how the crack in the multiverse is any different from the crack in the source wall or the crack in, or, or. Well, because just, it's just like, I, I care more because like one, I think the like, I think the thing with Barry, the involvement with Barry is really interesting the way he is involved. And I think um, bringing in like the, I mean, I, I'm a Legion Mark. So like the great darkness thing gets me too. Like, I think both of those things are more interesting than like the crack in the source wall from. Okay. Well, none of that is in this issue. So yeah, it is. It mentions the great darkness. Like, several times it and does. their whole their whole thing is like talking about getting to Barry. It, Barry's not here though. Like Barry's, Barry's well, they're trying here, to man. get to Barry. Okay. See and I and Barry's I, there I, in spirit. He is the mm-hmm. he's the impetus for all of this. Boy, that's a stretch. I don't disagree with that. I, I think it's pretty clear that I mean it, you know everybody here is on relatively the same page and that page is we have to say Barry. He, if anything, he's the MacGuffin in the book. You know, everyone is talking about how that, you know, at one point, Captain Multiverse or whatever her name is says, like, um, you know, there's going to be a, there's going to be a point where I have to decide if we save Barry or we save the multiverse. And President Superman says, like, no, there's not. Like, that's, you're not thinking like a superhero, right? Like, I feel like Barry is the motivating force behind everything that's happening in this in this book see and i feel like this issue doesn't do oh yeah they mention him a couple times they mention the great darkness but i feel like it's completely lost the plot with dark side and barry um to me that to me there's a smaller story here that that could have been told and this issue lost that plot for me I, I think it's. I'm sorry, Zach. Oh, You're good. I was gonna say is I just I feel like 
if you're looking for a smaller story, this is the wrong place to look. That... But that's what I'm saying about Crisis. Like, Crisis had these small stories within the story that it, you know, they were they were always there. And I feel like that. I feel like without seeing Barry, you can't just have a bunch of characters say we need to save Barry and have it feel like it's anything real when we've stashed Barry away for a while now. I, I, I think I think they're throwing too much at the wall here is what I'm saying. Okay. Um, and, and you're saying, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, oh, if I'm looking for a, like a, a small, uh, intimate story or whatever, I'm looking in the wrong place. No, that's what makes that's what makes the big stories great when you actually have these stakes that feel like they matter. And I don't I don't feel I don't feel Barry as the tether here. I don't feel Barry as the lightning rod right now. See, that's I, wild to me because I, I'm sorry, Zach. I keep you're I good. Keep, uh, we I keep feel, going at the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just I feel like in in some ways I thought Barry was referenced. I don't want to say too much here, but like he's referenced a lot here. Like I, I don't I don't see how that's he's not, not enough. That's not enough to just have Avery say, "Let's go save Barry," a dozen times. I, I mean, know. you're right. I'm, I just think like that, <sighs> generally like event comics like this are kind of junk food. I, I would argue even Crisis on Infinite Earths is kind of junk food. The only crisis I would say that's not junk food is Final, Final crisis. crisis, of course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure. Everybody yeah. take a shot. Um, but like, I don't feel like I come to these stories looking for depth. I come looking for like one, just like smashing action figures together and two progressing the overall plot in an interesting way. And I feel like this is doing both of those things more in, in a way that I am more engaged with than like, this is maybe slightly below my enjoyment of like that multiverses end issue, which I think is, is the thing that has done this the best in probably a decade. Yeah. And this no, is, this is like right there. below that, I think for me. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would argue with that. The one thing I'll add to what Zach said is I feel like this like infinite frontier zero was sort of the starting gun for this next era, right? And I see this this trilogy of stories that Williamson is working on as like the spine of a book where it's holding together all of these other stories. But to me, that doesn't replace reading the other stories, right? Like this is this is the framing device in a way for what's happening behind the scenes so the other stories can exist. And when I look at it like that, I find this very satisfying. Okay. Let me just put this to you another way. And, and, and I, I get that we disagree on it and maybe I'm asking too much of uh, the comics right now, but I think, you know, I'm sure this is all stuff to come. 
but I, but I'm saying right now it's the, 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 the tether is lost. Um, when we came out of death metal and got into infinite frontier, we had the totality, this, you know, we had, um, uh, gestures made at, uh, Alan Scott and checkmate. Mm -hmm. We had this stuff with Barry and the justice incarnate, which this is what's paying off right now. But all that, I feel like all that other stuff has been lost. Um, and so I don't think this is doing a good enough job of, and in Zach, you talked about the great, yeah, they talk about the great darkness in this, but that they, they show dark side and they talk about the great darkness, but they there's still no gestures made towards how this really relates to that and how, how we get to there from here. And I, I just, I, I feel like um, they're, maybe gesturing at some of this stuff, but the overall organization of this three-part narrative has been sloppy to me. Um, they're dropping plot points that they introduced uh, in Infinite Frontier Zero and in the first miniseries. Seemingly, these major players have just completely disappeared from the board uh... for reasons I can't track or figure out see i i just think that that again that first issue and even the first miniseries to a certain part certain point was the beginning of all this right like roy harper was a big part of that first miniseries well now he's in teen titans academy alan scott was a big part of that first miniseries we know that he's doing something else that we haven't seen yet but hopefully we're gonna see soon right like i i just i think you're asking this to be carrying too much well, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I probably am asking too much of it. But I'm saying the thing that they're going for, in my opinion, is is I like a lot of the pieces. I like the ideas here. And I feel like it's just not uh, organized in a satisfying way. Part of that is how the Infinite Frontier status quo has almost nothing to do with any of the books that carry the infinite frontier label, which is something we've talked about on this show in the past, but like, you know, all the mainline books here, almost none of them have anything to do. It's the red sky thing. I've mentioned it in a previous episode, like none of these books are even quote unquote, acknowledging the proverbial red sky, you know? Like they don't even act like this is going on. Um, and so, yeah, Roy Harper showing up in teen Titans. It doesn't feel like that has anything to do with this. Yeah. I, I, I guess I disagree with that, but that's okay. I mean, how does it, how does him showing up in teen Titans really connect to his role in infinite frontier? Because I think if you're thinking about Infinite Frontier as, like, to me, yeah, we are on some bullshit. We are on some bullshit, but like, like to me, like, because <laughs> we disagree. No, 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 no. To me, every era of DC has that, like, that first issue or first miniseries that sets everything on the path, 
And I think you can't say that it has nothing to do with Infinite Frontier, the Roy Harper stuff, because Roy Harper's return is part of Infinite Frontier, right? Like, I don't think that him being the Black Lantern is as important as the fact that he's back. Right. And so I think that the fact that he's showing up means it's part of Infinite Frontier. Like, I, I don't I don't see how you can necessarily disconnect those two parts. Or like um, a big part of Infinite Frontier to me is the emergence of Jonathan Kent. And we're obviously getting that in multiple places right now. And a big part of Infinite Frontier was a uh, day. In, Jonathan Kent really didn't have anything to do with Infinite Frontier. But it do, but 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 it's part of the it's just overall. the current status. It could be the status quo in any with any event in the background. Um, Superman leaving Earth has nothing to do with Infinite Frontier. Well, okay, so like, I think we're just all looking at this in very different ways. Yeah, because I mean, you could you say that, but like, Infinite Frontier is both a status quo. It, it is both like rebirth, and it is also like the story of the crack in the multiverse and. Yeah, Barry and I'm going saying missing and the great darkness. It's it's both of those things. Sure, and they're completely disconnected from one another, pretty much. One is yeah. the status. One is the status quo without having anything to do with the crack in the multiverse. So I'm gonna punch myself in the fucking face for saying this, but like, <laughs> I feel like that's like saying like I remember when I was a kid and I had like no sense of history, right? That I thought it was crazy that things like that the Vietnam War and Martin Luther King and the Beatles and James Bond all came out at the same time. Because from an outside perspective, unless you understand history, all of those things seem like such like vastly different time periods, right? And I didn't understand how they all connected together. And mm -hmm. I feel like you're looking at this like you're saying, well, these things don't connect. But when we take a broad view of it, I think it all does connect. It's just that maybe in the moment as you're reading each issue, it doesn't feel that way. But okay, then by that I, logic, you will agree that Taylor Swift is Bob Dylan. No, of course <laughs> not. I'm not an asshole. No. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm just, I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I feel like, again, like I, I look at anything that we call Infinite Frontier came out of Infinite Frontier Zero. And all the stuff we talked about comes out of that. Like everything we've talked about. Again, you said that like John Kent has nothing to do with that. Well, no, he kind of does because isn't there a John Kent story in that? I'm actually pulling up issue zero now to like go through this. I'm pretty sure like all these things spun out of that issue. Yeah, John Kent's right here. You know, it's just, um, Black Adam joining the Justice League. A day. Uh, yeah. So 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 that's an ad for all these books and things that are happening in other books. Um, I'm saying it's, 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 a, I'm saying if this is meant to be an overarching story that kind of sets the tone or defines this era of DC, that it's not doing a great job of that. But that's you putting that on there. That's what I said. Right. I said, I said, maybe I'm asking too much of this. Yeah. I'm agreeing um, with you. Yeah. And I'm, and I am right now just not having fun smashing the action figures together. 
I wanted this to be more interconnected because that that's the expectations I set for myself when this all began, I think in, in the style of like uh, infinite crisis or something like that, where there were all these books that were tying in in tangible ways, or, or at least making nods to the crisis at the center, you know? I think you're also overstating even a crisis's connectivity a bit. Well, maybe, but the other thing is, this is just a to me, this is a really good Justice League Incarnate book. I mean, like it's it, it the Justice Fair. League Incarnate is Fair. cool, and I think this is good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're having fun with it. <laughs> I am. I am. What do you? I am. What can I say? I'm not. I'm no, sorry. I, I'm not mad at you for not having a good time with this. That's fine. He's mad. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not mad. Brian's mad. I, I truly am not mad. I'm the I'm, least mad here, by the way. Don't, don't don't tell the newspapers I was mad. Calmer than you are, dude. <laughs> I'm no, laughing, I, actually. <laughs> I I want this to be good so badly. Um, the Kyle Hot stuff was great because um, so it was like Kelly Jones. I know. No, no, it didn't look like Kelly Jones because it didn't. The um, you know. Nobody had uh, uh, 24 abs that were bulging in insane directions. Um, uh, no, it just, it, it was just, it went for a tone thing and it really nailed it. And, and like I said, it was different from what you see in the average event. I think everything else just felt so ordinary to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I want to like this. I want it to tie in more with, I want it to tie in more with the DCU. I don't want it to be a justice league incarnate off doing its own thing that affects nobody else, I guess. And that's me just asking something that it's not doing. So All right. Well, let, let's go to something that I think we can uh, maybe have a little bit more uh, unity on, and that is uh, Nightwing number eighty-seven, written by Tom Taylor, illustrated by Bruno Redondo. This is the story that was basically uh, touted by DC as being one giant comic panel, where if you laid this out like page by page, you would get sort of an infinite scroll of of story. And to me, this is a gimmick that looks great, but ultimately does nothing. I I agree, definitely. Hey, we all agree on this. One. That's what I said. Yeah. I thought I thought we'd agree on this one. So, what's especially <laughs> and, uh, bummer a bummer about this one is that I feel like Nightwing was starting to do some interesting stuff, and then was pulled into Fear State kind of kicking and screaming and then came out of fear state and did nothing again like i was hoping this would get back to the story that was being told but this isn't doing anything this is just this is just a a, a gimmicky issue yeah and it, it the gimmick is even kind of ruined by the fact that it's not all one long image you know like it <laughs> is but there it's still a comic and you still have to turn the page you can't just like roll out the scroll and see right, the whole right. thing you know and that that even kind of hurts the gimmick a little bit to me um 
it is really cool the art the artistry of it is really good bruno redondo great great artist fantastic stuff but this like it it's actually a pretty dull story you oh, know? it's a yeah. very dull story yeah um unfortunately it almost has to be when you have a, a like a grounded street level character doing this sort of thing and like basically all you can ask it to do is to have him uh swing across some some rooftops right like what else are you gonna have dick grayson do yeah i mean to be fair i don't know of any character like even if this was set in space then you could just fly through space I, I would I would love to well yeah but that's that's there there's a there's the potential to this is just him going from like uh rooftop to staircase to I would love to see this uh, be done with like Superman where you could really have him go on this like grand scale adventure over the course of 20 pages um I know the point of the exercise is not necessarily like what you're having the character do, but it's more like just that the they, fact that, that it's all it. one image. Yeah. 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 Um, but I just think, like you said, this makes for a drab. It's a drab setting. It's a drab story. It's. Yeah. I don't know. I, I it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. It's, it's going to win an Eisner or something. I don't know. No, it's not. No. no, it's not. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's going for, it's going for that. It certainly wishes it was going to win an Eisner. It's going for uh comic book roundup pick of the week. How about that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, to me, this, um, I'm going to invoke a bad name here, but this reminds me of uh, a lazier version of like the, the Grayson Futures End issue by uh, Tom King, which was basically, again, another gimmick, but it was a gimmick that wasn't instantly... Like, as soon as you open this up, you know exactly what this is. And it never does anything to fool you or trick you at all. This is exactly what it says it's going to be, and if you don't like that tough titty, because that's all it is. Whereas I feel like that Grayson issue... It took you a minute to figure out what was happening. And once you got the gimmick, then you can go back and read it again and be impressed by the gimmick. This is just a one shot. Like, after you read this one time, there's no reason to ever pull this out again. No matter how good the art is. Because even the art isn't as good as it could be because of the constraints that this gimmick puts on it. Yeah. Anything else to say about this? No. All right. Well, let's get to our final book of the week, Nubia and the Amazons, number three. This is written by Stephanie Williams and Vida Ayala, illustrated by Aletha Martinez and uh, Domo Stanton. Um, I we, we talked about Wonder Girl last week, and I was saying how I feel like that book is doing a lot of the heavy lifting for sort of the, like, Themyscirin uh, mythology is leading us into War of the Amazons. And I feel like this book is positioned to be doing the same thing, but I am just utterly bored by this book. I wish I enjoyed this more. I want to like this so much more than I am. Um, I'm curious if you guys are enjoying this at all. Um, I'm not really, and I'm in the same boat. I want to like this. 
I weirdly still kind of like this better than the main Wonder Woman book. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's like saved by the premise and the 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 idea behind it, but I'm still like I complained about this last time. I still spend so much time trying to figure out who is who and like what their relationships are to each other. And it, it really kind of kills my enjoyment of the book. And this issue even kind of has like little um, like name cards for characters that kind of tries to fill you in on them a little bit, but like it still doesn't quite I still I still I'm like left trying to figure out what's going on more often than not and this issue in particular I think just kind of stretches out the plot like it's it's just very decompressed I think um I I really like the central conceit of you know this stuff with the the Amazons coming through the wall of souls needing to name a new champion Nubia kind of dragging her feet the stuff with Medusa um but it's just moving really slowly. Um, I yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty. I I want to like this so much more than I do. Yeah, I I think it sounds like it sounds like I like this the most out of the three of us. But that's not really saying much. I I do think you know the artistry the artistry of Wonder Girl aside because that book looks incredible. Um, no matter who's drawing it. Um, I think this is the, this is the wonder woman corner book that I am most invested in. And I think has the best story conceit. Um, I think, I think it's a little too dry. I think that's the problem. There's these pockets of character in it. Like the, the stuff where they're like, um, spear fishing for the big tuna has a little bit of fun character to it. It's a, it's a little loose and, and, and fun. And then it just gets, there's, there's just so much of like characters explaining to one another um, how they feel about rules and, and how they feel about things instead of, instead of um, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the bender thing from Futurama. You can't just have, characters telling you how they feel about everything, you know, (laughs) this is an opera or whatever, you know, uh, it's, it's that bit. And, um, so I, I, this is one of those where I do, I like the ingredients, but it's a little too dryly, uh, laid out for us, I think. And it is slow moving. And I, I think the Domo Stanton artwork in particular is really great, but, again, not, not given a ton to do, right. Um, that spear fishing part is, is really the bit where you have a mix of characterization and action. You know, it's more interesting or more fun to read characters doing something while they display who they are as characters. Right. And I think that's accomplished in the first part of this uh, issue. And I think by the middle and the end of this issue it's just more like characters standing around talking to one another there's a a little bit of a sparring thing at the end but it's very there's not much to it it's not staged particularly interestingly or anything like that 
And so you're really just buckling down and you're reading the exposition at that point. And it's a little bit too dry to be a really great comic, you know? So um, I certainly don't think it's bad. It's just mid. (laughs) It's just very mid at this point. I think it's almost bad. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but go off King. I I think that my enjoyment of this book is almost entirely predicated on my desire to enjoy this book, not what this book is. Mm. There's almost nothing in this book that I go like, hell yeah. It's I want to care about this. And so I'm forcing myself to care about this, but I, I I think introducing new Amazon Amazonians for the first time in a long time, that's great. I think making Nubia queen of Themyscira, that's great. I think um, having Medusa as part of this, sure, that's great. The ideas are all great, and I care about the ideas, and I want this to influence a wider range of Wonder Woman stories. So all of that is dope. I'm on board for everything. But nothing in the text at all has sung to me even the ideas i like i feel like were executed relatively poorly here um and i i don't know if it's stephanie williams scripting i don't know if it's the fact that the art is perfectly crumpulent but nothing too in too memorable for me it just seems to me like this is the definition of a meh comic and if I didn't care about this, if I didn't have reason to care about the Wonder Woman story right now, I would I would be dropping this book very quickly because there's almost nothing here that interests me outside of the concepts. I think it's interesting how, you know, we were a little bit jazzed or at least like our, our radars were pinging a bit at the idea of this like trial of the amazons crossover or whatever it's Mm -hmm. called and i think i mean i would argue that none of the setup in any of the books if 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 you can maybe they're not even going for setup yet but this is only like a six issue series right is that Mm -hmm. right correct so i don't see how any of this really i mean it'll all be revealed i think but i don't think it's doing a very good job of setting up whatever this crossover is going to be and i think if you go over and look at like black manta and the aquaman the becoming those books are doing a better job of um at least teasing that maybe they're weaving towards something absolutely Though, though i will say that i think that wonder girl until the most recent issue i think wonder girl is doing the most heavy lifting here because we are seeing in that book the different factions of the amazons we're spending time with characters we don't normally spend time with. I mean, I guess that's true here as well, but mm. I, I think that Wonder Girl is actually, and again, I don't think that Joelle Jones is necessarily the world's greatest writer, but I think that what she's doing on Wonder Girl is at least, to me, it's doing the most legwork for the larger Wonder Woman story. Um, and I just feel like both this and Wonder Woman proper are just, are just dull right now. That's all, that's all I can say about them. They're both very dull. I mean, part of me is that part of that part of that is that you know I'm the Donna Troy guy on the podcast, and I'm uh, 
Yeah, the simp, exactly. And um, you know, I, I really like when I like when Wonder Woman stories feel like there's a whole like lots of stuff is happening outside of what we are seeing with the other Amazons. Like that's why I love the uh the George Perez run so much. That's why I like the Phil Jimenez stuff. I feel like all of that stuff is just you get the sense that there is this entire world outside of man's world that is interesting. And I think that Wonder Girl best displays that. Anyway, uh, that that's it for this week. Vincey, what comes out next week? Uh, Action Comics 1038, Aquaman, Green Arrow, Deep Target 3, Aquaman Becoming number 4, DC versus Vampires 3, Deathstroke Inc. 4, Detective Comics 1046, Harley Quinn 10, Justice League 70, Robin 9, uh, Superman 78-5, uh, Swamp Thing Green Hell number 1. Ooh, bo- Ooh, baby. Ooh, yeah. Task Force Z number 3, Teen Titans Academy 10, uh, The Flash 777, and The Human Target number 3. I somehow missed The Human Target 2 is already out. So did I. How did that happen? We, <laughs> I don't know. we liked that book, too. We did like we... that book. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. But... Man. Well, anyway, here we are. Um, anyway, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs an App. And I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is trying to figure out which Taylor Swift song is um, handled with care. So, wh- wh- which collaboration of hers is the new Traveling Wilburys? Well, it's got to be a, a Phoebe big, one, right? It's a big red machine thing. Oh, that's true. Okay. Okay. So, let's do this quickly before we go. If Taylor Swift is the Bob Dylan in the big red machine Traveling Wilburys, who are the <laughs> other members? Uh, <laughs> George George Harrison is obviously Aaron Dessner. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. I guess Tom Petty would be um, Justin Vernon. Justin Vernon. Um, who is who is the Roy, who's who's dead? Who's the Roy Orbison? Who's <laughs> the Roy Orbison? Uh, uh, Michael Stipe. Uh, sure. He's he's. he's <laughs> He's the elder statesman, right? And then, yeah, and, then yeah. and then who's the that's, Jeff Lynn? That's the, code uh, for dead, right? <laughs> right, yes. And then uh who is Jeff Lynn? Who's the least interesting member of the of Big Red Machine? Um boy, I'm gonna have to look up the Big Red Machine lineup just to just to give you uh, some let's give somebody here. Yeah. Oh shit. And not the uh not, not the wrestler, the, not the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah. <laughs> um, or the professional wrestler Kane who went by the Big Red Machine. Oh, there you go um let's see oh ben howard oh there we go ben howard's the the jeff lynn done yeah all right folks thanks for listening uh i think we'll be back next week i don't know maybe we're taking a break i'm not really sure if we don't talk to you happy new year if we do we'll see you next week bye i didn't say that I go on my break. Vince doesn't do. <laughs> I, 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 Scooby doesn't do. I go on my break. Call the show Brian. <laughs> <laughs>